What's up, everybody? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. Number two today, number two live stream. Uh, but first of all, um, if you notice up on the top up here, uh, if if I hadn't let you know, because I, I didn't really broadcast it a whole lot, but the show was nominated and won an award for the best mental health podcast uh, from the scene snobs. And I appreciate that. Thank you guys for uh, allowing me to submit uh, to your um awards and and it was great that i got to uh participate and that i I won in a category we were nominated for three and then that's the one that i won uh we got this uh speaker this way over here we got this uh movement speaker summit i will be speaking in that uh this saturday may 22nd uh 12 p.m uh eastern time or not 12 p.m. Yeah, 12 p.m. Eastern time is when it starts. So the direct links to that are in the description. Uh, the Back from Broken Virtual Summit, that is June 5th and 6th. There's 250 tickets to that, and those that's a free summit. So if you uh, go over to www. Oh, you know what? I have it right here. Let's just do this. This is why I did it, and I always forget. So we got this movement is right there. Uh, the com is where you can find the tickets to the June 5th and 6th uh, speaking event. Uh, they're both great events. Um, tons of, of speakers uh, with different stories, different topics. Mine is actually how to turn your mess into your message uh, through podcasting. And so that's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and yeah, and I think that's about it. If you are a author, if you're a business coach or a coach, life coach, um, you have an online business, uh, I do advertising, uh, and sponsorships for the show. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at nowhere to go, but up now at gmail.com. If you want information on different, uh, pricing tiers for uh, sponsorship of the show or episodes of the show. Our guest today is Kelly Palfi, and we will be back with her in just a moment uh, after these messages. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. There we are. Hey, Kelly, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Sean. How are you? 
I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on the show. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to uh, talking about this topic because I definitely think it's needed. And it's something that uh, what you pointed out to me. And when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You don't hear a whole lot of people talking about that. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you, your background, and uh, how you got to be involved in, you know, writing your book, which is uh, me, uh, Men 2. And what is the bottom one? It says Men 2, Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse. Mm-hmm. Thank how- you. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say congratulations on your award. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I think what you're doing is awesome, by the way. I'm, I'm very inspired by the work that you're doing. Um, I, I got into my work, so as I, as I told you on the phone when we spoke that time before, um, I used to be a police lady. I was with the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, for 13 and a half years. And I worked in the Behavioral Sciences Unit in the Integrated Child Exploitation Unit. So um, there I became aware that males are victims of sexual abuse, too. Now, that might sound a bit ludicrous, but um, prior to that, I had no idea. And, you know, I was considered the quote unquote expert. So um, just sort of the awakening process to becoming aware of that was sort of my awakening to kind of recognize, like, if I'm the expert and I don't know about this, how many other people don't know about this? Because research shows that one out of every six males is sexually abused to some extent prior to the age of 16. And one out of every 12 is abused to the point of intercourse uh, prior to the age of 16 as well. So it's kind of like this best kept secret that only the victims know about and the victims don't talk about it themselves. So I just decided that I wanted to, you know, there was a long process to it, but um, including my own clinical depression from leaving the RCMP due to bullying. So I basically needed something else to be passionate about and um, decided to pursue this as a, as a career goal to pursue creating awareness and whatnot. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for your service and and what you were doing, because I think it's really important. Uh, There's a lot of, um, at least in the circles that I listen to and the stuff that I watch, um, you know, child sex trafficking is, is, a big problem. And I think it's, I think the statistic was like 800,000 children go missing in the United States every year. Uh, so, something close to that. And if that's happening, if that's happening in a first world country or it's either 80,000 or 800,000, one of two, it's a huge difference. I know, but I mean, the, 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 the point is, is that that's a lot. All right. No matter how you look at it, you know, mm-hmm. one, one child being stolen and trafficked is too many. Right. Yeah. And if this is happening in a first world country where, you know, we have cops and, and, you know, all of these, these, you know, laws and everything else, what do you think that number is like in places like Syria and, you know, what, uh, what do they call those, um, you know, conflict areas mm-hmm. and other in third world countries? I guarantee you that number is even higher because they don't even keep track of it. Absolutely. And Sean, you know, what you're talking about is exactly what inspired me to want to get into this work in the very first place. Like, well, okay, so if I back the truck up, like when I I always aspired to be a police lady, right? And so I, you know, had to work my way into that. And I was working in corrections. And I remember like seriously being like 
confused because I was like, okay, I don't get it. Why are there so many men in prison compared to women? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I just, I never had that question answered. And then um, fast forward when I was, when I was working in the, well, I got inspired to work in the integrated child sexual exploitation unit after a trip to Thailand. So I went there totally just to relax and check out the beautiful beaches. And I was just like horrified by what I saw. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a small town Saskatchewan girl. I admit I was pretty naive, but everywhere you went, there was like young girls on the beach with older white guys. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like this is, I mean, I knew enough to know that if this is what you're seeing in public, what is going on behind closed doors? And so I went home and I, I mean, I was working in the drug unit at that point. I went home and I applied to work in this new unit that we actually developed called the integrated child exploitation unit. And I mean, it, it wasn't even, it didn't even exist at that time. Like I was part of the inception of the unit. And um, so we were just getting bombed with files. Like, you know, we, we literally could not keep up. Like we would get, one file we'd seize the computer or something for example and we'd get access to their address book and there would be hundreds of email addresses that our our suspect had been trading images with and we couldn't even touch it like we were not even we were tip of the iceberg it was it was sad and i used to do undercover work and we, i would go online and you know just to check out what's what's happening in these chat rooms that were known to have pedophiles perusing and I would like be in one chat room and I decided to go to another chat room and they would follow me and stalk me trying to get images like new material that they didn't already have or something. They were sophisticated. They were organized. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I was being trained to be a subject matter expert and um, in, in Canada and one of our pro hockey players, uh, Sheldon Kennedy, played for the Calgary Frames, also the Boston Bruins. Um, he came and gave a private lecture to us and he told us about the reasons he hadn't reported his abuse. And it just broke my heart. And then I started to see this connection. I was like, oh my gosh, like he had turned to drugs and alcohol. And I was like, wow, I wonder if this is why there are so many men in prison, right? Because, you know, getting involved in drugs and alcohol can lead to a slippery slope with mm -hmm. law, right? So yeah, so I, it was just like, oh my gosh, we are missing this. Like, and just the recognition that there is just like no resources for men in, or there wasn't at the time, you know, in regards to male sexual abuse, there just, you know, there was no room for men to be victims and there just were no resources for men. And he talked about living this double life. And um, I, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional environment, did not know how to stand up for myself. So when I got into the RCMP and I started to get bullied, you know, a minute of weakness, and I, there's kind of a saying that we eat our own in that environment, right, in the drug unit. So I, you know, I admitted, hey, that was my mistake or something like that. And then, you know, everything became my mistake. And I didn't know how to get a control of it. And so I was, here I was in major crimes, doing undercover work, but being bullied. And, I, you know, I would go home and bawl my eyes out. Sheldon Kennedy talked about living this double life and I got that tiny little piece of it I was like yeah I know what it's like to live a double life because on one hand I'm this you know cop in major crimes with a badge and a gun doing undercover work and and I like go home and ball my eyes out and can't sleep right like mm -hmm. and so here he is a pro hockey player but a victim too and it was just like wow I wonder how prevalent this is yeah so I, I think it's pretty prevalent. I, I mean, in my friend Sandy, she just chimed in here. Let's get her her uh, her uh, 
statistics. She said children who have been either sexually or physically abused are 50% more likely to become incarcerated. Those in the U.S. who have been tossed to more than four foster care homes are more are 90% more likely to become incarcerated. So Sandy is a friend of mine, and she does advocacy for um, the formerly incarcerated people that are, um, you know, in prison, wrongfully convicted. Awesome. I ha- yeah, I had her on my show to do an episode of, uh, I can't remember, Charles... Charles something, but, or other, but he was uh, wrongfully convicted and we did a, an episode with his wife and her, you know, talking about the case and, you know, some of the aspects of it and, you know, things that were being missed. She says, kudos to you, Miss Palfi. We as women who have suffered must persevere. Yay. Hi, Sandy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's and you know, another statistic is that if a child doesn't learn to read by grade three, they're very likely to go to prison, right? And how many boys who are sexually abused do not learn how to read by grade three? Right? Because they're so dysregulated. How can you know, in school? <laughs> you know, it's somebody told somebody said something to me. I can't remember who it was, but they said they used third grade statistics and scoring to determine uh who's going to go to prison and who's not mm-hmm. yeah that's that's the statistic that they use um and, and that and they use that to to determine how many more cells they need to build in prisons uh for the future it's so sad I, it's almost like it's it's like i mean it, it almost seems like you're you're just you're you're trading you're trading uh futures in in children you know well, you know what i mean I mean, I guess that's that's why I think like we need to see the bigger picture here, right? Like how many of these men that wind up in prison, you know, some of them might have even just killed their offender, right? Which I shouldn't say just, but, you know, it's a little more understandable, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, people say, oh, the system is broken, but it's not broken. It's, it's, it's working perfectly. It's working the way it was supposed to. And, you know, there, I have a whole lot of other theories as to, to why that is. Um, but we're not going to get into that uh, today. Um, but one of the things that I know that we had touched on and talked about, and, you know, I struggled with this and, you know, I, I talk about it kind of openly now. It's not like I go out and volunteer to talk about it, but it's, you know, it, when we're talking about, you know, these type of issues, I, you know, I, I, I've been affected by it as well. Um, you know, I was, I was exposed to, uh, pornography at a really young age. I want to say like around six or seven. And that's really before you even know, you don't even know what you're looking at and why you're, why you're, why you're looking at it. But what would happen was, is that I'm looking at these pictures and it's not playboys. They were, you know, penetration, uh, pornography, and you know you get aroused i mean it's because we're that's how we're wired you know when we see that that's what's supposed to happen because biologically that's what the normal function is right yep and so what i would do is i would go in and you know i would see this stuff and i would try to act it out with you know with other kids that i would see in you know daycare or you know whatever it was never anybody in my neighborhood but it was i did it at the daycare uh, that I was at and would play house and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, who didn't, they didn't know what I was doing. I was just, I was just seeing what I saw, but that had an effect on me because I questioned my sexuality for a long time. I'm like, am I gay? Because I did these things. And like, before I knew that it was like a normal thing, maybe not to that extent, but, you know, experimenting, you know, with other kids that that's kind of a normal thing. Right. Yeah. 
And, and Sean, that's why we have laws is to protect kids from exposure to that kind of thing, right? Like I grew up reading my dad's pornography too. And I can tell you that it deeply affected me in a lot of ways, right? Like totally distorted images about what love was, what love was, what intimacy was supposed to be like, you know? And yeah, I mean, that might not have led me to, to offend against anybody, but it certainly led me to like, you know, have, have boundaries that I, you know, or lack boundaries that I might've put in place had I not grown up reading that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and in today, I mean, kids, they have it at their fingertips, you know, they've, they, they have access to, to porn right there, you know, on their phone, if they've got a smartphone, their parents, you know, haven't uh, done their due diligence to, to keep that content away from them. Uh, but even if the, it doesn't matter, because even if, if your parent, you could be doing the most due diligence that you want yeah. and, and little Johnny's friend, uh, Timmy, yeah. his parents didn't. And now they're all watching it together and you know maybe those same sort of things end up happening you know what i mean all all over and so it's just it's really i I feel like we're going backwards in some ways yeah it's a it's like you say it's so it's so prevalent and offenders will go to extreme extents to try and get this material into children's hands right because it is like used as a disinhibitor right meant to normalize it meant to arouse the child interest the child so that they want to do what they've seen right mm-hmm. it's part of the grooming process yeah that that's a great segue because i was going to get ready to ask you um you know to explain some of the the grooming tactics that that you learned about you know in your in your position yeah well i mean one file that I can speak to personally that I that I handled was um, it was actually involving girls, but I mean same sort of process. This fella had posted a uh, advertisement for wanting to hire a student, so these young twelve year old this young twelve year old girl applied for the job and of course got it. And you know it's basically she just started off as kind of like you know like hanging around the house and he'd give her odd jobs like sweeping the floor stuff that was so easy, right? But and you can see over the years, like he 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 was he videotaped the whole thing. I had to watch. It took me months to go through all the material, but he um yeah he was um which is why I feel like I have a bit of a background in in the grooming right. But yeah he he would start off with like giving them jobs, paying them ridiculous money to do easy jobs, and then you know started treating them like adults, which is exactly what they do with boys. They'll you know, for with a boy, they'd be like, hey, come, you know, take jujitsu class or learn self-defense or I'll hire you to help you help with something else. And then they start um, introducing masculine principles, you know, for the boys. They'll, they'll treat them like they're older than they are, maybe introduce them to alcohol or, or smoking or something like that or marijuana, um, engaging in rough play. Um, the, the fellow that um, I had to observe on the video, he was, um, he would get the girls, there was two of them and they'd have, he introduced them to water balloon fights and then he switched the balloons out to be condoms and they started asking questions about that and he introduced them to sex toys and started teasing them about not being mature enough and old enough and paying them to pose for pictures and stuff like this and you know it was a year, years and years of grooming and eventually ended up in engaging in physical acts with them. And same with the boys, you know, I mean, based on my research, just learning, you know, the tactics, kind of the same principles, you know, it would start off as behaviors that would be considered completely legal. And then, then, you know, typically the perpetrator will isolate the victim somehow, get them alone, ask them, you know, what do they know about sex, 
uh, introduce them to pornography, um, you know, introduce them to the concept of masturbation. And then oftentimes he would masturbate them or perform oral sex on them or, um, you know, just anything like that to just, you know, get them aroused and of course make them feel like they're willing participants because they're aroused. So obviously messing with their heads and um, yeah, uh, usually in the grooming process prior to actually engaging in sexual activity, they will introduce secrecy. Um, so they'll, like I mentioned, introduce like things that the child's not typically allowed to do. Um, it could be like letting them drive a vehicle or letting them stay up late or letting them watch explicit materials. And if they don't get in trouble for that, then they'll move to the next stage because now you've got the victim in this place where, hey, if you tell on me, I'll tell on you, or they already feel guilty because they've done something that they know their parents wouldn't agree with. Mm. Um, right? So, yeah. That's a long, that's a long game. Like yeah. that, that, like that takes some commitment to so what 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 does that speak to you know what i mean it, it, you're that's such a good point shauna it speaks to how determined they are like there's a couple different types of offenders that we kind of discuss um like situational or preferential type offenders so a situational offender will offend against you know kind of any child anytime they get an opportunity doesn't necessarily have to be exclusively um, male children or female children Whereas the preferential offender will have an age and sex of preference, typically, and they will spend their entire life um, working towards creating opportunities to offend. So they will volunteer at the right, right places to have access to children. They will take education to have careers to be in the right places to access children. And, you know, they will go out of their way to befriend the parents and be useful and helpful. And, you know, I mean, honestly, the, the best way to put it is that they will do as much as humanly possible to look like the least possible person that would ever offend against a child, which is so scary, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's commitment. That is forethought. That's uh, pred predation. I mean, you've got like all a whole bunch of different things wrapped up into one one sort of sickness right absolutely absolutely and and you know a lot of times and not to not to like make excuses for it but most offenders are people that have had it done to them as well i don't know that that's no? true honestly no. No. and i i do think that's one of the myths that keeps a lot of males from coming forward right um a lot of offenders will claim um there's this great book i'm gonna hold it up I love this book. Um, shout out to Dr. Anna Salter. I think I shout her out in almost every podcast I do. She was a psychologist and she worked in the federal prison system and she interviewed the narcissistics and the psychopathic sex offenders. And she, I don't remember if it's her research or just research that she quotes, but basically what you just said, like all offenders usually claim that they were victims too, but they, we believe that they do that for sympathy, right? Especially for sentencing. So she says that when, you know, offenders, like I think it was 70% of offenders when just asked about it would say, yes, I was a victim. But when they were when they were posed with the idea of having to take a polygraph, that number dropped down to 30%. And that was before they even did a polygraph. So just threatening a polygraph, 40% of them reneged on it. So I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, obviously I'm not an expert and probably there's no way to prove that. I'm not an expert in that. There's no way to prove that, but um, 
Yeah, but that is one of the myths that keeps a lot of boys and men from coming forward is this idea that, you know, if you were a victim, you're going to just automatically turn in to become offender. Research shows that less than 10% of males in the general population will go on to reoffend or go on to offend. Hmm. Well, thank you for clarifying that because, you know, I, I had been under that impression for, for a long time. And, you know, some of it reinforced because I, I had a, a, a interview with a woman and she had been raped when she was younger by a, a younger kid, right? You know, sort of like in her age range, maybe a little bit older. And, th and this was like maybe... Mm -hmm. 9, 10, and, tw and 12 year old, you know, and that's in that uh, age range. And what she had said is that, you know, you know, he said, don't say this and don't tell anybody. And if you tell anybody, I'm going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, most having raised a kid myself now and seeing that mm -hmm. at a young age, they don't know about any of these yeah. things or how yeah. to do any of these things unless they're introduced to it. Absolutely. And so I, I said to her, I said, well, well, is it possible that like, how would he know to tell you not to tell anybody if he hadn't been being told that by somebody else, because possibly that was happening to him. And so those are, I mean, I, I guess it's all case by case. You have to take it, you know, what it is. And I think it really, really young ages, it's, a, it's, it might be a little bit different than, than older, but you know, nonetheless, it's still, it's still a, a serious issue. It's, it's a, it, it's what's really what is keeping, um, you know, a lot of society sick and it's a, not just with, with, uh, well, at least the, the, the offender, you know what I mean? The formerly incarcerated, the people that are incarcerated because nine times out of 10, it has to do with untreated trauma that got them there to begin with. Absolutely. I hundred percent agree. I am so convinced Sean that our prisons are filled with male victims and female victims of sexual abuse. Right. I mean, whether it's because they've been so dysregulated that they didn't establish proper coping mechanisms, couldn't make it through school, don't have a lot of career options. It's just such a snowball after that, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is for sure. Um, Sandy, I had this, her, her uh, comment up there. It says, it is prevalent, Kelly. And because of my own personal physical and sexual abuse as a preacher's daughter, I have gone on to gain my accreditations in both cognitive behavioral therapy and neuro-linguistic programming. Yay. Good for you, Sandy. Congratulations. You're really out there doing it. I talk to her every so often on the phone. Yeah. We find it hard to trust, so we must trust in ourselves. Sean, and just if you don't mind, I want to comment just a little bit more about what you were talking about, about, you know, um, that last person's abuse, right? Like, again, back to this idea of why we have laws in place, right? Like, we don't charge, I don't know what it is in the States, but in Canada, we don't charge children under the age of 12. Like, I mean, until children have hit puberty and had education about sexual matters, and kind of learn to understand consequences, right? Like children go through a phase of moral development and little children are literally not mature enough mentally to understand, you know, proper moral issues, right? Like, you know, I'm sure you saw this in your own child, right? The only reason little kids don't do things is the chance of getting caught. Like, like it's like, if I'm going to get caught, I'm not going to do that. As we get older, we develop into, okay, I'm not going to do that. You know, if we reach our highest levels of moral achievement, it becomes, I'm not going to do that because it's not good for society or it's not good for other people. It's not just about getting caught and not getting caught. So children don't have that moral development as adults do. So, I mean, 
like literally they can't be expected to have it it's something that we develop with age so yeah and i mean we we don't we don't children don't even understand the sexual nature of what's going on until they've developed you know sexual you know maturity themselves and and been taught so yeah for a child i mean you know for a child to be offending if it's i would say if it's against someone their own age or or younger you know i mean they're like you said reenacting reenacting what you've learned right or mm. playing doctor whatever you want to call it right but that's why we have laws in place to protect children that's why that's not that's why we're not supposed to expose children like you say yeah you you know if you don't want them to 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 try and mimic what they what they see don't let them don't let them see it yeah. you know and it goes the same with you know if you a kid a child grows up in an abusive household nine times out of ten you mean you may think yeah. that he didn't see it or, or or he or she didn't see it or or you know was too young to understand it yeah. but that's not true yeah you know a lot of that a lot of that stuff just gets gets shoved back in the back yeah. and now it becomes it becomes a part of your subconscious and you end up repeating what you saw absolutely sean i don't remember a lot about my childhood probably because it was pretty dysfunctional but i do remember my mom telling my dad to put the pornographic magazines out of my bathroom because she was saying pretty soon she's going to start to understand what that is and i remember thinking too late lady <laughs> <You know? laughs> i remember thinking that and i mean we moved when i was in grade three so this was like kindergarten or grade one have, have, did you ever talk to her about it when you were older? Um, um, not really, not about that. No, I've talked to her about other things, but not about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here, we have another comment, but I have, a, I have a question for you here in a second. And she says, it is disheartening that young boys are overlooked as abuse is abuse, but males are programmed to hide their feelings, which is atrocious. I, I don't even think it's hiding your feelings. It's just shame it's shame around you know what Absolutely. i mean it, it's it's such a shameful thing that it's we've all, been sorry no i was saying that, it, that it, it's it's been put out there that you know that this is such a shameful act if you if you you know commit some sort of a you know homosexual act yeah. you you know what i mean that you know oh my god uh, i can't believe you know what i mean we we build this up in our head that that you know now we're going to be labeled as as x y and z that's what i did and it, yeah. like i wasn't that way i just you know it was just something that i saw and did and yeah. it was a phase and got in trouble for it and got caught doing it and you know all right that was it <laughs> done with that yeah yeah not, no more of that okay and Sean, <laughs> talk about that a lot in my book it's a lot of those things it is boys are conditioned from their youth to suck it up and to not have feelings and to not express emotion and boys are conditioned from their youth to be protectors to be providers to all you know you there's this message that boys and men always want sex and that they never turn it down and that they control their erections at all times like i mean like realistically little boys can get erections if the wind blows a different way or if they you know if, if in math class right like like any kids excited about that right so it's such a, a misnomer right it's so it's so misleading like like we know this we know this from research on spinal cord injury patients that it's a completely different system it's like this has a brain of its own literally <laughs> yeah for it does and, yeah. and you know as, as, as yeah 
as a as as somebody that has one of those, you know what I mean. It, it, it even in your twenties and and eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one. I mean, you know, the wind still works. You know, exactly. yeah. it's you know, and it, it's it's biology. It's yeah. just the way that our our minds are wired to what we see. And you know, I mean, there would there could be times when I would be just daydreaming about nothing. And then all of a sudden in class, I remember this and I got called to get up and I was like, oh, no. These <laughs> <laughs> are made about that, right? Because well, it's, it's true. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like and you said thinking about something else, right? Like, you know, I can't quote the names of them. Oh, I can if you want me to. But uh, I mean, like, yeah, one is one type of erection is just simply a response to touch. The, the type of erection that you get when you are enjoying a pleasurable um, situation is very different than the type of, not type, but just the, the system that's involved, um, the response to trauma. Like men who are extremely traumatized can get erections too. Like again, if you're held at gunpoint. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like the weirder part, you know, the guys that, that uh, you know, get get it based on fear um in in people so like 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 guys that are rapists they tend to you know get turned on by the fear absolutely in in the woman's um that that she's expressing and if you you know a lot of times sometimes they say don't don't show any fear and reverse psychology and it'll piss them off because yeah. it won't, yeah. it won't, yeah. it does because you taken away their, their turn on. Exactly. Yeah. And male victims too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, all right. This is a, this is a deep, <laughs> deep, deep subject. Sorry. <laughs> so let's, let's take a little bit of break from that for a second and uh, okay. move over to Sandy in the United States. There are many juveniles as young as 11 who are charged as adults. God. That's, that's wow. horrible. That is, that is just, whew. that's crazy. Maria, keep up the good work, Sean. Thank you, Maria. Maria is yeah. a friend of, a friend of mine. Uh, Sandy, again, experimental youth does not define you as a person. Thank you, Sandy. I appreciate that. Yep. And then Ashton, ha, ha, ha. Interesting <laughs> episode. Uh, yeah, and I, I have lots of podcasts and interviews out there on different subjects. So, yeah, kellypalfy.com. <laughs> Yeah, then that's where you can find all of her social media, everywhere to connect with her. You'd listed it, but I was like, I don't, I stopped. Uh, I should just put, if you have a website now instead of links, because yeah. I don't, sending people to other places, I'd rather send them to your website so you get the traffic instead of sending them to yeah. Facebook or somewhere else. Um, so, go ahead. No, no, you go. All right, so my, my next question is, is what is there anything that you've run across in your career that just absolutely affected you and you were like you know what i mean because i know that that this is a i don't know if i could do it honestly to be honest with you and some of the things that you come across and some of the stories and pictures and and all of the stuff that that is, is a possibility of you being seeing because what you see you can't unsee yeah and you know what sean um 
I guess I've, I've been fortunate that I focus on the process, right? Like as a police lady, I focused on the process of catching the bad guys. I didn't try to focus on the pictures of the victims, right? Um, and, I mean, and that was the hardest part about leaving the police force, honestly, was like, who's going to work as hard as I did, you know? And then thankfully they got Corey and he did work as hard as I did. So I didn't feel so badly even, but even like in my work now, like I, I just, like, and that's why we have to be trained, right? Like, you know, I mean, because you don't want to be subject to vicarious trauma. Um, I mean, I have my coping mechanisms. Uh, I, I exercise, I have friends that are psychologists. I, I access my faith, absolutely. Um, but I really, in the process, I keep my eye on helping, like, you know, I know that this trauma exists and I remind myself that I'm not the one doing this. And I, and I also just remind myself that it's an honor and a privilege to sit with clients and to earn their trust for them to tell me their stories. And it's kind of like when they get to the depth of their hurt inside, I'm going, yes, thank you for letting me in. Thank you for, you know, trusting me with your, with your truth, with the truth of what happened to you. And now that you've opened up that wound, we can clean it out a little bit and it doesn't have to hurt so much. So I honestly, that's what I focus on. And that's the whole goal of my book too. Like just, you know, trying to educate male survivors about, you know, all the myths that they believe all, you know, just trying to, just trying to, you know, like I say, I had a messed up youth. I, I was so dissociated all my 20s. I didn't know who I was. I was lost. I was a mess. I went back to school and I literally wrote about a lot of the things that I was struggling with. And it just really, it helped me to see, you know, like it helped me to be able to dig in in those spots with, um, you know, my participants in my research when I was doing my doctoral research. So, yeah, I guess that's what I, like my focus is on just, you know, like I say, kind of tearing off that scab that's healed over incorrectly and cleaning out the wound. And yeah. <laughs> and that's literally what it takes to, to get through it. I mean, there's no way over it. There's no way around it. The only way that you can heal from these types of traumatic events is to talk through it, yeah. you know, stop, stop hiding from it. You know, the more, the more you hide from it, the, the sicker that you stay. Yeah. And the ability to speak through it takes the power away from it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, if I had one one story that really, um, really kind of bothered me for a long time. And I just I just talked to my I just got support from my colleagues. And, you know, I mean, and I reminded myself that this man that went through this as a boy survived it and it's over. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's change lanes here really quick because I I had realized that I knew you before this before wow. you reached yeah before you reached out to me, um, you and I had crossed paths on the IPU twenty, um, IndiePods United virtual summit. You were on with uh, the real men real men Phil with Andy Grant. Yeah. And I and I remember you were having technical issues and we yeah. couldn't get your we couldn't get your your camera going. I was the one that was trying to walk you through that because I was the moderator. Oh wow. <laughs> Small cool. world, huh? <laughs> so was that your first podcast? No, that was no. my first one on StreamYard though, I think. So okay. I don't think I had Google Chrome. I don't think I knew to download Google Chrome or something. I am. I might. I have my lane, and technology is not in my lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it's a. Uh, it can be a challenge. Uh, Sandy said, "Miss Palfi, I would love to connect with you." 
find me on LinkedIn or Instagram and Facebook and Mentu 2020 Unspoken. Yeah, all my links are on my website, kellypalfy.com. Yep, they are. Uh, much support to both of you. So, Sandy, all you got to do is go to the uh, description and hit her direct link to her website, which is dum 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 Where to go? Kellypalfy.com. And um, Sandy, I got some homework for you if you choose to accept it. Go get your master's degree and research the cost of male survivors to society because I think people need to know that to pay attention. I know, and I. I, 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 I you know what I mean? Like the the cost, like how many of our male survivors are winding up in prison? Okay. Yeah. Right? yeah, well, I just talked to a guy that was in Colorado State Prison and it was 35,000 uh, per, per inmate per year that they're getting, getting paid to house them. The wow. federal system is $44,000 per year per inmate. Right. I mean, look, if right. we took half of that money and put it towards mental health and, you know, treating addictions and all of these other things in, in the category, which they should be, which is, you know, mental health, because all of these, uh, you know, are, like I said, they're, you know, the, the gateway drug is trauma, you know, mm -hmm. and, and not, and so here, I, I have to be honest here because not everything is related to childhood trauma. Not everybody is, oh, yeah. is, is subject to having childhood trauma in, in their, in their background or their history. Sure. But as you get older and you start getting into other relationships and you know what I mean? You start getting involved with, you know, the kind of person like I used to be, which was an abusive narcissistic, um, you know, uh, mentally, emotionally, verbally abusive person. I mean, I, I guarantee you that at least three of the, the, my exes, I probably traumatized, you know, just because of my behavior and, you know, the kind of person that I was mm -hmm. and that in itself, can lead to, you know what I mean? Uh, 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 that could derail somebody. Yeah, for sure. But, and, and that would be abuse to them, right? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sean, I just want to comment on what, what we were just talking about again, just about like, um, you know, the cost of inmate holding inmates and, you know, what if we were to, um, you know, place greater emphasis on, you know, detection and prevention kind of things. Right. I think the key is like, you know, there's a concept called willful blindness where we will see something and we'll think, oh my gosh, like I have to kind of ignore that because if that was like, that can't be true because if that was true, that's ludicrous. It would be just like too awful if that was true. And this is a concept I talk about in my book, right? Like, you know, like you think you see something like the example that Dr. Hefferman gives in her book is the mom who is like, seeing her husband come out of saying goodnight to their daughter and he thinks she thinks she notices that he has an erection and she confronts him about it and he calls her crazy and ludicrous and how dare you think that and that's disgusting and all these things and then 10 years later or five years later finds out he was abusing their daughter and she had that instinctual awareness and and he just convinced her she was crazy at the time right so we call that willful blindness so if we were to like try and you know, even just create awareness about the concept of willful blindness, maybe we would pay a little better attention to our instincts. And then just this idea of accountability, like stop passing the buck, like, you know, stop transferring the teacher who's been accused of sexual harassment and fire his butt and charge him, that kind of thing. Stop allowing the coach to 
just, you know, stop, like, don't like press charges when we need to press charges, right? Like we need to, we need to have more accountability in organizations, I think. Stop being polite. Hell yeah. <laughs> if no, you, to sexual abuse, yeah. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as, as politeness when it comes to, to children and crimes against children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, it, it really, until, and, and it, it's hard for anybody to understand the, like what that is until you have them yourself, right? And when you have a, you know, and, and that's not for everybody. Like you, if you don't have kids and you're working in that, you see it firsthand and it's really easy to just be like, damn, you know, this is, this is horrible. But when like for my daughter, it's like, it became even more, um, I don't even know what the word is, man. It just like, I see how precious she is and I see how, how, um, how, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, not, uh, not tainted. They're just, they're just innocent. Yeah. They're innocent. They have no clue. They're just, they're just learning and they're sucking everything up. And like I, I was saying in my last one, there's, I, I spend so much time just like being amazed and just watching her interact with the world around her and just being like, Oh my God, this is so cool to watch her just develop. And like, how could you do that? Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%, but I, I'm going to use this just as a segue into some psychoeducational stuff. There's an idea called the law of first mention. So you're talking about your daughter's innocence and how she's just sucking up information. This is how perpetrators get their victims too, right? By, you know, they teach them something and then, and you know, and they think like, you know, they teach you what it feels like to be aroused. And, and then you go on to be sexually confused because your first experience was with the male, right? Mm-hmm. So this law, this you you compare everything else after that to your first experience, right? Whereas if your first experience would have been with a female, or or your preference at your age and time of preference, you wouldn't struggle with that, I don't think, right? I mean, everything that we're taught in our youth for the first time, we compare all other information to. Mm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about it like that. All right. Well, we're running on uh, 47 uh, or actually we're it's 46 minutes. I've got another live stream scheduled at five. So I got to close this out. Um, I, I really enjoyed having you on. Um, and we have uh, a couple more. Sean. Oh, yeah. I'm helping her with some tech things so she can start her own podcast. Uh, and then she said, I'm going to close, but I admire you both. And Sean, thank you for your friendship and support. Well, you're welcome, Sandy. Miranda, what's up, girl? Miranda is my uh, executive secretary of my nonprofit, mm-hmm. or our nonprofit. Yeah, um, I'm secretary. <laughs> <laughs> this is the face of jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are great. Thank you. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks for uh, showing up and supporting. I appreciate it. Um, anything? Do you want to close with anything? Um, no, I just Kelly? think that I, I think what you're doing is great, Sean. You know, I mean. When we spoke, you kind of were just talking about how you're just trying to support other men coming out of prison and whatnot. And I think that's awesome, you know, and I, I do too. I think like, hey, go easy on yourself, right? Like you're allowed a second chance. And if you're a male survivor, please check out my book. My book is all about trying to support men who've been victimized. Men Abs- absolutely. 
Oh, no, I was going to say, absolutely. And like I said, all of the direct links um, for Kelly and, and her website, her book, and all of that are on the description. So just go there and, you know, scroll through it and, you know, anything that you want to find, uh, including, you know, some of the, the speaker things that I'm doing uh, coming up. Just click on the direct links there and it'll take you to where you need to go. All right. All right. Well, I definitely am going to keep you in in my pocket of of uh you know guests that i want to have on that are um experts in in their fields and you know i want to definitely have you on again and maybe get to some specific you know maybe three three you know leading specific topics as we can talk about yeah absolutely all right great thank you kelly my pleasure bye bye all right wow um that, those are tough subjects to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to lie. And um, I definitely appreciate her for coming on and uh, sharing her information with us and uh, her experience and uh, her story. Uh, hang out. I've got a, another one scheduled for 10 minutes from now. I'm going to pull out of here in about, in about a couple minutes after I uh, talk a little bit more about uh, some other things. Uh, if you're on YouTube, do me a favor, subscribe, rate, or subscribe and thumbs the video up. If you're on Facebook, do me a favor and also, uh, what caused it? You're a little, you're a little late, Norman. Maybe we'll, uh, I'll answer those a little bit later. Hold on one second. Thanks, Sean. Best of luck. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Anyways, so hang out. We'll be back in 10 minutes with uh, Robert, um, Robert Lindsay Milne, and he's an intuitive uh, therapist. And this is going to be interesting because I think he's been on some uh, like some in, intuition, intuitive type of things. And he's been on some bigger platforms and some bigger stages. So I'm really interested in, in seeing maybe doing something live where he's, um, giving me some information or, or something like that. Maybe he'll, he'll hook me up, but we'll see. Anyways, uh, I'll be back like always, uh, keep it 100, stay true to yourself. Everything else is just noise. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.